welcome to Ascending Olympus, the Inner Sanctums Olympics podcast. I'm your host, Jackie, and today I'm joined by Dan and Thomas from the Inner Sanctum. So how are you guys? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. It's been a big day of Olympics content, especially from the Aussie's perspective, so glad to be here to unpack it all. Yeah, I'm still riding the high of Ash Maloney, to be honest. I've been uh, riding it for about the last 48 hours, so the fact that we've got there and, and got there with a good result has... Uh, somewhat tempered the disappointment of the rest of the day. I can't call today a disappointment. We won two gold medals and two bronze medals. Um, yes, there were disappointing moments, but I think overall the day is actually pretty good. <laughs> uh, I found the day personally to be a bit of a mixed bag. We had the uh, medals early, then we had a bit of a low period before we finished off on a high with Ash Maloney's bronze medal. Well, and also to be fair, I didn't even count the silver in my medals I just listed, but point still stands. Um, We'll talk about Ash Maloney later because I can't believe I got behind decathlon as much as I did for the past 48 hours. Right. But right. The, yeah. The first big one is Keegan Palmer, the 18-year-old, wins gold in the skateboarding park. The first uh, gold medal for the skateboarding that did not go to Japan as well. This is quite incredible, and it's Australia's 17th gold medal as well, which I believe equals our all-time personal best from the Athens 2004 Olympics. And, I mean, if there was a medal to be that, it was a new sport where he he went pretty well in qualifying but just had two massive scores in the actual final. The first one was a 94.04, and everyone was just like, like we were in this uh, talking amongst each other and we're all just like, okay, okay, we're on here. We're going to get a gold. And then in that final run, he gets a 95.83 and it was a better run. It was massive, but I didn't even think that a 95 was possible <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. I, I was amazed. You, you heard him afterwards and he said the fact that he, that trick that he pulled out in the final run, he held in his back pocket for months as a secret. So he was saying that, Last year in the COVID lockdown, he taught himself how to do, I think it's the kickflip 540 is the name of the trick. Um, and he basically didn't tell anyone other than his coach that he knew how to do it and that he could do it. And they honed it in secret, knowing that when he got to the final and at the last run, they'd pull it out, at which point no one could do anything about it. And if he nailed it, no one could stop it. And, I mean, it went exactly the script i mean he he had the best run and going into the final run he wanted to just put an exclamation point and you could hear the commentators just kind of lose their minds at what he could do yeah um i skateboarding is like it is the sport that has won this olympics i think in two ways in that it is has to be a mainstay from now on because so many people have gotten behind it but people have gotten behind it because there is a lot of love amongst these athletes that you don't publicly see as much at the very least uh, in other sports. Like the way yesterday that all of the girls in the women's park got around each other. And then today, the way that the guys got around each other, it was just like, oh, this like, when people say that this sport is like a family, they actually mean it. It's not like a, it's like a family kind of deal where it's just like, yes, everyone has similar relationships, but it's not as tight-knit as this clearly is and I don't know how you couldn't have fallen in love with it sorry Dan 
we saw the same camaraderie in the BMX freestyle last week, um, the way that they celebrated each other's runs. And also in the skateboarding street, it kind of shows that I think maybe it's part of that X Games culture in that when you come from things like the X Games where it's maybe a little bit less competitive and sometimes more just about putting on a show and having kind of that culture of having a great time, the athletes do get around each other. And it hasn't just been those. I mean, we've seen the social media of the Australian athletes cheering each other on in stadiums. Uh, Jess Fox's uh, Instagram story where she's just rifling through sports mirrors uh, basically my browser history for the last 14 days. I've just been rifling through all the sports, but to see them getting around each other is fantastic. And the celebration um, for for Keegan Palmer when he won and, and also Kieran Woolley who, who came in fourth and all of the skateboarders was fantastic too. Yeah, it was quite it- incredible to see Kieran, especially after he had a second run that had people thinking, could we get not- another Australian on the podium? And even though we didn't, it was great to see him with a fourth place finish. It shows your patriotism, I think, when you watch these sports. And even though you don't really know how the scoring works at all, when uh, an Aussie, yeah, when an Aussie doesn't get BMX. the medal that you think that they should, <laughs> you end up being like, oh, this is rigged. Like, they should have totally scored in a medal position. But you've got no idea, realistically speaking. I mean, that's me with most of the judged sports. Um, I can kind of tell when something's incredible in the diving or the artistic gymnastics or even the BMX and the skateboarding. But the subtleties between an 86 and an 88 and a 90 are well beyond me yeah and i mean if we talk about a sport where it's not really that subtle you've just got to cross the line first <laughs> that's got to be the canoe sprint you're talking about there Jackie, oh my right? goodness yes and we won our 16th gold medal because we started in reverse order and that's totally jackie's fault on the pod <laughs> <laughs> but yes we won gold in the k2 1000 meter canoe sprint so jean van der westhazen and thomas green took out gold and it was a very tight finish. (laughs) I was watching the skateboarding and this at the same time because these two medals were won within about 10 minutes of each other. And it was just like, oh my God, we've secured a gold medal practically. And it's like, but we just won one. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I got all these notifications for uh, the tweet that went out when West Hazen and Green won gold and they just kept on coming in. I thought, what's going on? And I looked and Apparently there was a second one Um, and then I switched on and and found Palmer's runs and saw what had happened. But it was in the space of, you know, a couple of minutes. It was fantastic. Yeah. You get behind two Australians at the exact same time is like there's so much, so much celebration in one hit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, this is an 85 year old event, um, the canoe sprint. So it's a pretty impressive achievement for these boys. Um, and they certainly did us proud. And, and Thomas had a really good Olympics generally. He he came up in the B final of the, the singles. I think it's the K1-1000, um, which is pretty impressive as well. So to double up and, and do that in such a short time, it's been great for him. Yeah, and we have actually made a fair few finals in the canoe sprint, which we expect to make finals in the rowing. And obviously we expect as far as like the canoe and kayaking for Jess Fox to make finals. But I think that because we don't really think about the canoe sprint with it being in the second week, the fact that we've just like seen a run of success in this, it's like, 
hang on, has this always been something that's been happening? Or is it that this year is just a very special year? I think that it's a bit of both. I mean, our athletics team is experiencing a renaissance. Um, the young guns coming through, like Ash Maloney, Rowan Browning, Liz Clay, uh, McDermott and Patterson in the high jump. I mean, there are so many young guns that are coming through. And, of course, all our 1,500-metre runners, Hall, McSwain, Hall and Hull, um, which you know I don't fancy trying to say really fast 10 times, but there is a bit of a renaissance with our athletics team. And, and it means that instead of just focusing on a bit of disappointment and having the one or two medals pop up, that you know often do turn up in the second week, we've kind of had that high expectation, that momentum all the way through the games. Yeah. I mean, we're not normally winning medals by the second Thursday, or at least not regularly winning medals. Definitely not two in 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll go with our first bronze of the day then, which was Melissa Wu, who finally got herself an individual diving bronze. Uh, long time coming, considering she got that silver when she was 15, 16 in 2008. And then at her fourth games, she finishes second to a 14-year-old and I think a 17-year-old who were just, no one was stopping those two girls. It was quite, it was quite amazing because I watched the uh, divings with great, in, great attention and interest. And the thing was, Melissa didn't have a bad dive apart from her third. But the thing is, the Chinese girls were just so good that it was just like, if Melissa can get a bronze, I think she'll take it, considering how good these Chinese girls have been. Well, Quan, who who took gold, um, was almost, was really was more than a full dive ahead of mel in bronze and that you know to be that far ahead of the competition over just five rounds is is unbelievable and to have two perfect scores is unheard of um but in this case it was pretty much justified well and her two that so yeah there was two perfect scores one that was a mix of tens and 9.5s uh and the 9.5 she had more 9.5s than tens uh and then there was two more dives which were also only 9.5s like there was very little wrong with any of her dives by the judges' calculations. Listening to the commentary, uh, Chen's, like, her biggest problem was really the how her feet were going into the water more than anything else. Like, that was the one big nitpicky thing that the commentators were talking about, which just says how next to flawless these girls are, is that they're looking for the most minute details as commentators because the judges are already finding them naturally. And I'd just be like, wow, it's amazing. <laughs> Have you ever stood at the top of the 10-meter platform? Yes. Because I have. I have. And I have to tell you, I was terrified. I wasn't trying three and a half spins in a twist or, or <laughs> you know, the crazy things they do. I was just trying to get down without breaking anything. Yeah, I was just doing bombies. <laughs> um, we'll go back to decathlon, the sport that we think we're experts on because we watch two days of it. <laughs> Um, oh, no, no, I am now an expert on this. I know how the scoring works and everything. Of course. All right, Dan, break it down. So uh, Ash, um, you know, in an amazing feat set, the Australian record in December last year, uh, basically an invitational meet. He did it in Brisbane's heat, which was a pretty good sign, and then he turned it on here with what was an incredible performance over two days. So he his first day is always stronger than his second. Um, with the 100, the long jump, the shot put, the high jump, and the 400 on the first day, and particularly those 
uh, explosive events being uh, everything except the shot put uh, are really strong events for him. And he won the high jump last night. So we knew he was going to come out fairly strong. I don't think anyone expected him to come out quite this strong. Um, but he came out strong yesterday and then today he hung on um, basically uh, after telling us last night on the broadcast, he's got patella tendonitis in both knees. Um, and it, it all came down basically to the 1500 meter for him. So he, he has quite a weak javelin uh, event, which probably is going to cost him in the future if he doesn't work on it. But for now, um, it just put him at a little bit of a, a tightrope to walk. And so coming into the 1500, he needed to finish within uh, seven seconds of Scantling and nine, 11 seconds of Scantling and nine seconds of LePage. Um, to keep bronze because that's how the scoring works. So for the time that you get across the line, you get a certain number of points. And the gap that he had over those two was essentially worth 11 and nine seconds. Ash is not a great 1500 meter runner. He's a really big boy. So it makes sense. And what we saw was incredible Australian teamwork. We saw his teammate, Cedric Dubler, who was out of contention um, basically. And, and, Dubla's quite a good 1,500-meter runner. And we saw Dubla basically coaching Ash through the first 1,250 meters of that run. We saw him making sure that he didn't get too big a gap or that he didn't lose too much track or get downhearted. And then in the last 200, Ash turned it on with an almighty sprint to catch them, um, finished about six seconds down on the other two, and it was enough to seal bronze. And he was pretty excited crossing the finish line and he knew exactly who helped him to get there. He's also six seconds uh, into his personal best, which is massive. I think he had six BBs across the events. Yeah. Um, And also, like, when you look at the – he was sitting in the silver medal position before the javelin. Uh, Kevin Mayer from France, who did end up getting the silver, is the best in the decathlon field. Oh, yeah, he's the best in the world. He's also the best at javelin in that decathlon field. So it was assumed that he was going to take that. And people were thinking that he could get gold from a massive javelin throw and then a really solid 1,500-meter run. But uh, Cedric Dubler, like, he's got to be considered the MVP for that athletics team almost because not only did he help Ash Maloney win a bronze at the very end, but he sacrificed himself in a way because he ended up finishing dead last out of the finishes, both in that 1500, but also in the decathlon overall. Uh, he's also dealing with injuries. I think that a lot of people end up carrying injuries by the end of the decathlon. It is physically exhausting, like 10 different events <laughs> where they are real good at all of them <laughs> let's yeah know. i mean if you want to feel like an underachiever watch the olympics if you want to feel like a complete underachiever watch yes. people do 10 things at the olympic standard one <laughs> um, yes. yes just imagine mastering one thing at olympic level let alone 10 well yeah I- they're shot put they're still throwing at like 22 meters some of them like it's ridiculous how far they're throwing in the decathlon as well i mean the thing for me was the hundred um, so David Warner, um, Damien Warner. Warner, sorry, uh, finished his hundred in 10.12. That would have got him into the Olympic semis of yep. the, you know, the main event hundred. That is not a slouch effort in the slightest. <laughs> no. And, um, and Ash Maloney, who's um, high jump would have got him into the Olympic final as well. Wouldn't have got him a medal, but 
it was not far off Brandon Stark. That's quite something. Yeah, and he did go for that 214 um, in the end, but I think it was after his second attempt on it or maybe his first. It was a day ago. I can't really remember everything all that well. But he was just like, no, I'm going to retire and just sit on my personal best (laughs) rather than trying to beat my personal best by even more. Because in the end, um, as we've said, it's not about where you finish in the pack. It's actually about when you finish. So he'd earned more points than anyone else. It would have just been that he was eating into Warner and I believe it was Lepage's scores at the time uh, to get that. And he ended up overtaking Lepage in the 400 metre anyway. But It's quite something to see him bring it home like that. It's our first medal at a major championship and it's his first attendance at a major championship. So there's some pretty strong signs. And, and Kevin Meyer said um, last year, just after he set that absurd score in December, that uh, Maloney's about five years ahead of where Meyer was. Um, in his progression. Maya's a multiple-time world champion and uh, before tonight was the highest ever scorer in the decathlon. It's pretty good when someone... (laughs) It's pretty good when someone says, oh, this guy's five years ahead of where I was. Yeah, and, like, you've got to give full credit to Damien Warner. He is the fourth ever decathlete to break 9,000, which is massive and it's like a true testament to just how well he performed because he also broke a bunch of personal bests. His weakest event, I think, was the pole vault. So his like first and second jumps, I think, were his like season's best and then his personal best. And he was just like, I'll retire here. (laughs) Like, I know what I can do in the later events. And he did beat Maya in the 1500, which is went a long way in extending that gap um, between the two of them. The best, the best part about the decathlon for me is having them break their all these uh, personal bests throughout the event on their way to their um, medals. Yeah, so cool. I guess we'll keep with the athletics track, but we'll move to shot put, which was unreal, like <laughs> in two ways. Uh, the first time in an individual event, the podium was exactly replicated. So in Rio 2016. Wait, that's your takeaway from the event? I mean, they're through far, but like, or put far. I had a, I, I had a, a different one. In I the, like uh, factoids, Dan. I've got a factoid for you. The gold medal winner broke the Olympic record five times in his five puts in the final. Oh, yeah, that's also pretty sick. All right, <laughs> you, you got a point there. Um, I, so what I was more going with was Ryan Krauser won gold both this year and in 2016. Joe Kovacs took out silver and they're both from the United States. And then New Zealand's Thomas Walsh took out bronze both in 2016 and 2020, Tokyo 2020. But that is the first time in Olympic history that it has happened with an individual event. We've seen it with team sports, but it's a pretty big deal for this to happen in what has yeah. been a pretty nuts game. So it's kind of, it's almost expected that something crazy is going to happen like this. I think, I think it's good to have not only a clever factoid, but also a crazy Olympic record in the same event. It does help. And just seeing him put, he was just, he was streets ahead of everyone else. And at, by the time it got around to the third time, he was just doing it for fun. Like he knew no one was getting close. It was just for fun. And, and the effort that was going in, and, and I think my favourite moment was after he won, there was the little sign he held up. Grandpa, we did it. 
Uh, <laughs> and like my heart melted a little bit. Not gonna lie, that that does it for me. I swear, moments like that, it just it makes everything perfect. Like it's the cherry on top of the cherry on top of the Sunday for watching such a dominant performance. Yeah, and I guess less dominant performances, but the first of the super endurance walking events happened this evening, I believe it was, quite early in the evening, uh, where Italy's Massimo Stano won in an hour 21, which to walk 20Ks in under an hour and a half sounds absurd. (laughs) I mean, that was, it was absurd and it's incredible. But the thing that was particularly exciting for me was the Aussies and Declan Tingay especially. He finished 17th, but what was more impressive is that he was the only athlete to walk a PB uh, which to do that in the heat of the Tokyo afternoon and the humidity, and we know how hard it is on these endurance athletes. We've seen really none of the endurance records get even close to challenged uh, because of how hard it is in Tokyo. So to, to do a PB is a really impressive effort. And, you know, maybe it points in some good signs, especially noting that you know, we had Dane Bird-Smith not out there today. Um, he's obviously withdrawn for for family reasons from the Olympics. So there's hope that, Next time round, we'll have uh, two or three really strong contenders for the the race walking. Well, yeah, and I guess like speaking on the PB slash record side of things with these endurance events, um, some commentators were talking about it quite early on in the athletics, and they were saying you're gonna see records broken in these short distance events, which we have. Um, look at the hurdles events specifically; they've done really well. But these long distance events, the heat is actually a it hurts more than it helps, whereas for the short distance, it's the opposite. You want to talk about seeing records? Have you been to the velodrome? <laughs> I was, that place yeah. is the house of the falling records now. <laughs> so I said today at one point, I was just like, I'm really disappointed in the velodrome today because, like, I'm just, I've come, grown accustomed to a certain, like, style of records getting broken every race and it's just not happening. And then the Matilda started, so I, like, <laughs> stopped watching. Well, before we get on to the Matildas, um, there's a couple of other team sports that happened earlier today. Um, first up, we had the Stingers, and then it was the Boomers, then the Matildas, then the Hockey Roots. But we might not quite go in that order, but we will start with the, the Stingers, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Um, I didn't realise that water polo ended in, like, if it's a draw, it ends in penalties. <laughs> Very Again, much another sport that ends in penalties. Yeah, very much a sport that I've learnt about quite suddenly, but it was pretty cool to watch. Um, it was a very even match, and this was a battle for uh, fifth versus eighth. So if we won, we were going to be in the fifth versus sixth match rather than the seventh versus eighth match. And like credit to Canada, probably don't deserve to be in that seventh versus eighth match given how well they played. Um, but, yeah, there was very little separating either of these teams. And I think the most either team got up was two or three points. Like, that's how tight it was all match. And then at full time, it was tied at 10 all. They go to penalties and Australia ends up winning officially on the scorecard 14-12 because we scored four from penalties. Canada scored two. I believe uh, Australia did not have had a perfect record in the uh, penalty spot. Yeah, which, and that says more about the fact that we didn't have to take our fifth penalty rather than that uh, <laughs> we missed anything. But, yeah, sorry, Thomas, you're right. I didn't see that. Uh, but 
Could I talk about Zoe Arancini for a second? Oh, uh, yeah. Come on. Five goals. What? Five goals. I think she scored in every match or something like that. Um, ben Lennon from the Sanctum was saying earlier tonight. And that's where it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, wow. And then he goes, by the way, it's also her second Olympic Games. And you're like, oh, wow. Like, it's just, it's sad that they didn't make it to a semi final or a final in this stage, but. There's very little you can actually fault with the Stingers this year, I think. They've performed beyond belief. I think having the uh, spot in the fifth-place playoff, which will be against the Netherlands, is a perfect way to finish off a successful campaign. And getting that fifth place will, you know, give them all the confidence in the world going into the next competition. Yeah, and I think that there's a World Championships coming up for the women either later this year or early next year. So, as you said, it does prime them to go far in a different competition that whilst not as the Olympics, maybe more people will pay attention to it now that everyone's kind of fallen in love with them a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really hope that that's something we'll see across the Olympics, that a lot of these sports that, you know, we joke about that come around every four years that are going to have picked up some real momentum and, you know, we're going to see a bit more growth over the next few years. I mean, all we do in lockdown is watch sport anyway. And lockdown's not ending. So <laughs> um, I'll move on to the hockey, which well, that's our first bit of heartbreak, I guess, for the night, even though it was the last match, where in the gold medal match, the Kookaburras lost in penalties to Belgium, which credit to Belgium, they are the number two team in the world. They recently won the IHF. Hockey Very hard theory. to argue they're not the number one team in the world now. They've yeah. got, you know, those gold medals sitting around their neck. Yeah, okay, damn. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no, but they officially ranked number two, but they have had a amazing probably two years you'd count it as because the IHF uh, series that all of the teams go through, they won as well. Hockey Roos were second to them. It's very obvious these are the top two teams in the world. But Australia has to settle for its fifth silver medal of the Olympics. Yep, another another Olympics, another round of being the bridesmaid. Unfortunately, it didn't ever really look great for the Kookaburras. Uh, they conceded the first goal, and and from there they were always playing catch up. And there are a couple of near misses that you know I think if they could have had back might have made a bit bit of a difference. But Vincent Van Ash is the best goalkeeper in the world, and it really showed tonight. You know there are a couple of unbelievable saves on penalty corners and and flying shots, and then. He really showed that cool and calm and talent in the penalty shoot in the shootout where not only did he have a bunch of saves, but the last save in particular he had twice because of that call for a retake that had us all heart in mouth for way too long. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think it's very hard to to say anything that the Kookaburras gave it their absolute best. And my heart breaks for guys like Eddie Ockenden, who I think, probably won't get an Olympic gold medal now as a result, but Vincent Van Ash was was the best player on the field tonight, really. Yeah, and basically uh, words from uh, Ockenden, we're proud of each and every one of us. We came here to win, shootouts are tough, and it didn't go our way. It's very disappointing from him, and it's but we have to understand they have walked away with a silver medal at the same time. Oh, absolutely. It's a phenomenal achievement, a phenomenal campaign. It just didn't quite have the ending we were hoping for. And I think that, like, this is this, it can't be taken for granted that this was their second uh, shootout of the tournament because they also had a shootout in the quarterfinals against 
the Netherlands, I think it was off the top of my head, which they overwhelmingly won. It was like 3-0 in the shootout. But when you go through one, that means that Belgium was able to learn our strategies and tactics for it. But at the same time, uh, sometimes it's just how the cookie crumbles is you win the first one and then you, at the like dire moments, you end up losing the second one. Some teams are really good at penalties um, in any sport. Other teams, it can just fall either way. It just depends. I was really hoping if it was going to kind of come to penalties, it was going to be against England because I think there's a, a national mental block now there about penalties, but uh, Belgium don't seem to have quite the same problem. It wasn't the only uh, kind of incredible achievement soured a little bit by the disappointment on the day today. Um, obviously, the Matildas are, are one that had a, a great tournament and exceeded all expectations when uh, three months ago, Jackie and I were talking about the fact that they lost 11-0 across two matches in five days or something. And, you know, before the Olympics, I was talking about maybe they won't score. And Sam Kerr scored six goals in six games on the way to a bronze medal. It just happened to be that they ran into a U.S. women's national team that... I mean, are quite good and beat them 4-3 on the day for the bronze medal. Yeah. Um, we emerge from the group of death in third place. We end up being the third finishing member of that group of death from the finals as well. Uh, you cannot knock the United States by any stretch of the imagination. I think that it was a very even game overall. 4-3 is a ridiculous scoreline. Um, it's been a very high-scoring tournament for a lot of teams, but they went toe-to-toe with the World Cup champions. A few days ago, they went toe-to-toe with the 2016 silver medalists who realistically are going to win gold tomorrow against Canada. And I think that a little bit of belief is back in with the Matildas, uh, which is great signs for the World Cup next year, which will be in Australia. So oh, Australia and New Zealand. So I think that it will inspire Um, A lot of people to get behind the Matildas, especially next year, but also the team as a whole. They've finally clicked under Gustafsson, which it took a long time. Like, granted, they were losing 5-0, 5-2, I think, in April. They were still losing 5-0 in June. They had that 1-0 loss to Japan right before the Olympics started, and then they just came out at the Olympics and did better than I think any of us actually realistically expected. I called us a dark horse months ago, kind of being a little bit facetious, but just being like, oh, I hope that we do really well. We've done better than I realistically could have planned. Like, you can't write that script. No, absolutely. It was brilliant. Uh, Yeah, fourth fourth place is nothing that I sneeze at considering where we came from. And I think it's also very lovely to see how just how australia got behind the matildas there were massive tv ratings all throughout these last few games and everybody rode at rode the wave with them in the last few games especially tonight when kerr nearly made it for free then getting it a for free in the 90th minute everybody holding their breath to see if we could get a late equalizer but unfortunately it was not to be much to our dismay. It's been heartbreak with Team USA today, really. That's that's the only way to put it. You know, we tried hard and we've had some brilliant performances, but it's just, it's okay. We got Titmus first and, and that's all that matters. Everything after that's irrelevant. We beat US, Titmus beat Ledecky and, and everything else is irrelevant. Uh, well, I guess we'll talk about the basketball now that we're crying about how we performed against the US today because the boomers showed up for a half. 
that's for sure. <laughs> that first half was really good, really solid. That second half, they tried. <laughs> that's probably the nicest way to put it, but Team USA is Team USA, and I think they got told, can you imagine how bad it's going to be if we lose to Australia and then have to go play France or Slovenia in the bronze medal match and then walk away with no silver? Because they came Immediately out... Immediately turned, turned around. Yeah, they came out with a fire lit under their asses before... Um, yeah, at the second half, sorry. We also... I mean, we completely botched the start of the third quarter. I mean, Matisse Thibel was the only person who was able to even a little bit slow down uh, Kevin Durant. And the only other person who seemed to be able to do it was Dante Exum. And the two of them sat on the bench for the first seven minutes of the third quarter while the US went on a 16-0 run, evaporating that lead. I think that, I mean, that that was the moment that was it for us, really. We needed to come out at the second half. And if we'd started with a bit of momentum and, you know, held the lead for the first two or three minutes. We might have broken the spirit of the US if they were still 15 minutes down coming out, but um, with a, probably a lineup that wasn't quite suited for it and we didn't call any timeouts to slow that momentum, it was all gone by the time we did finally show up for the third quarter. Yeah, and I am a big fan of Delvedova, but he has not been in form all Olympics long. Um, and the fact man that, can't shoot. Yeah, the fact that he was starting, the fact that he ended up with four fouls, I think it was, was very lucky not to get fouled out in the end. Um, was just kind of the proof that it was like, okay, stop having Delhi start. Like he can come in and run plays as like a point guard role in the middle of the match when people need a break. But the loyalty to the older players realistically shouldn't be put above a win. Uh, especially against a team like the United States. Especially when the possibility of a gold medal is on the line. Yeah. My, uh, my uh, sadness was inflamed with how good we were starting and how everybody seemed to go to the early crow on social media. Uh, sorry. It was a pretty horrible hour and a half because we had the boomers followed by Victorian lockdown in the space for about an hour on social media and there are a lot of people say you know i liked it better an hour ago we were up big on the usa and we weren't in lockdown yeah and like in fairness in the grand scheme of things the united states has been a slow starting team all tournament long they started very slow against france in game one that's why they lost because they didn't really build momentum but if you look back two days ago against spain they were down at half time or it was even at half time and then they came back and just stormed home against Spain. Spain realistically were probably unlucky to not be able to build that lead back, but we blew it with that 16 and no run. And now we are going to have to face Slovenia in the final, which it kind of would have been the dream I to told see. You, I, I warned know. you about this. I, I warned you about this weeks ago. Two weeks I, ago, I said the people we don't want to see is Slovenia. Okay. But we've learned, just get Luca fouled out and it's fine. You'll win. It's um, a lot harder <laughs> than you think i know um but i think that that's probably how the script was written for this tournament as well though um it would have been very funny to watch luca beat team usa that's kind of what you want to see if you're not in that gold medal match but it is now france versus us in the final and that's also i think very much to script in the sense of this is the team that the us lost to so they know that the us are beatable 
and realistically know how to beat them. And the US are going to not want to lose to France again because it was very funny and they were made fun of a lot of for like two days after that loss. I really hope Rudy Gobert has a good game. (laughs) I really hope he does. But the Boomers, you know, regardless, have had a pretty good tournament um, given that there were some concerns going in about the fact that they didn't have, you know, maybe one of the most talented players going around in the squad in Bed Simmons who wasn't there and, um, you know, there were concerns about about everything. And then when Aaron Baines went out, you know, even more concerns because he's obviously such a pivotal part of the lineup. So to be at the point where we're talking about the first ever Boomers medal at the Olympics and being one Slovenian 22-year-old away from that <laughs> is, is pretty exciting and a, a pretty incredible achievement. Yeah, and so you went on the, uh, you have the take of nothing else matters after Ariane Timmis. Uh, my take is all or nothing tomorrow. Uh, so Australia will be playing against the US in the beach volleyball. Atacha Del Sola and Clancy reached the final, having a brilliant run. Like <laughs> there's Unbelievable. Like, no negative thing can be said about them. They are performing amazingly. And I woke up specifically to watch that match this morning. Judge me all you want, how late that match was, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we're going to be playing in the United States, and that's. I just think that it's the perfect little ending. Is like if we beat you at beach volleyball, we get bragging rights until Paris. If you beat us, we'll pretend to be your friends again. (laughs) I think it's very interesting how it's um, come full circle. We started off our Olympics facing off against the United States and because we're about to finish our Olympics facing off against the United States. And it would be a perfect opportunity for us to get that uh, get another gold medal and break the all-time record set in Athens in 2004. Yeah. And, I mean, before we do that and before we move on, I, I want to talk about how well Maria Faratacha del Sola and Taligo Clancy are playing. Like, they've been unbelievable. They've played really smart volleyball. You know, Taligo Clancy at the net is imperious really blocking and her swing are just unbelievable and they've had a really good tournament and and they deserve a little bit more credit for that I think I think the one thing that can't be understated is who they've beaten like they beat the world number ones uh, in the quarterfinals and then they ended up playing the Latvian duo today and in that second half uh, it's not second half (laughs) second Second set. set They went on like a 10-2 run to win the set. To be fair, if they hadn't been down by four points, it probably wouldn't have needed to be a 10-2 run to get there. Yeah, exactly. It was just that second set, uh, especially Taliko Clancy's performance at the net, as well as they both served really well. But Clancy's not only her kill blocks, but she was doing this knuckle block and just knocking it down on them as well, which looked unreal and then their opponents were trying to like actually spike it across the net because they didn't want to deal with her and so it wasn't even going over the net in the end because that their strategy just wasn't working for them either yeah i mean if they can keep playing that smart volleyball um they're in with a real chance against the us um so fingers crossed that tomorrow we can take bracking rights for the next three years i think it's gonna be a very exciting game um because there's only three days left and there are still some decent medal opportunities for the Aussies. Where do you think the other medals are coming from? <laughs> or are there any more medals? I think 
Jemima Montag in the race walk tomorrow morning is going to be a really interesting one. She's definitely a medal chance. Um, the new Omnium competition that they're running on the track cycling, I think favours Annette Edmondson more than the old-fashioned one. So she never quite was great at the kilo and the flying lap and the sprint um, kind of events, but these uh, team or these racing components really do kind of work to our experience as a road racer and a track racer over the years. So I think that is one where maybe, I don't think that's going to be gold, but it might be a bronze. Um, We've obviously got either gold or silver in the beach volleyball. And I'm still on the 1500 meter bandwagon. I've been on Stewie McSwain's bandwagon for months. And the fact that no one else is on my bandwagon with me is a disgrace. Because <laughs> he and Ollie Hall are looking fantastic and they might not even be the best 1,500-metre runners in Australia at the moment with Hall and Hull. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I'm on the 1,500-metre bandwagon. I just don't think it's McSwain. I think it's Hall and Hull that are the ones that are incredible. They're both running sub four minutes now, which wasn't the case uh, before the semi final. Hull broke the Australian record and ran under four minutes yeah, sorry. In the semi-final, Hull broke the Australian record, ran under four minutes, and then uh, Hall looked like she was conserving energy in that semi-final and could very well just go out and run a nuts race. They both like to lead from the pack, which is a big deal. And I think if they're together leading from the at the front of the pack, it's going to push them further. I don't think a gold medal is on the cards, realistically. There are some very good runners in that 1,500-meter field. I think one of them can get on the podium, though. Well, and that's the thing about the men's is that McSween is, you know, his favourite thing to do is to make it a race of suffering and see how much pain he can dish out in 1,500 metres. And we saw it tonight. I mean, he he eased off at the end, but he made that 1,500-metre race so fast that in the semi-final, the winner of the, the semi-final broke the Olympic record because he went out fast and hard. And if he does it again... We could see something spectacular because Ollie Hall comes home like a house on fire. Um, so if McSwain can kind of set up a really fast race, either of them are a decent chance. And then I think that realistically that's going to be close to our medals. Minji Lee looked okay in the golf, but I'm not sure it's going to be enough for Hannah Green's currently performing better. She's at six under. Minji Lee is at two under, oh, I think it is. But, yeah, there's still two more days left in the golf, so a lot can change in two days. Uh, what's your take, Thomas, at all, if you have one? Um, I think it I think it'll be interesting to see if we can pull out any more medals at this stage. But I think it's most impressive that we are still in medal contention in this uh, second week of the Olympic Games with all the uh, events that have occurred. Even tonight, there were still a few things that could have gone one way or another, and as we mentioned, we walked away with a silver in the hockey, but we could have also walked away with a bronze in the soccer, which would have been another bronze to our tally. We have gotten plenty of plenty of those and plenty of gold. Not exactly a whole lot of silver. I'm wondering if that's a national allergy or something to, to silver because we just seem, you know, there's no, it's all gold or bronze for us so far. So my take before the games was that we were going to win like 10 gold and a lot of those gold versus silver head-to-head sort of situations, we were going to end up winning silver. Uh, That's obviously been the opposite, especially with the pool, because that's where primarily I expected that to come from. But to have 17 gold, potentially 18, uh, five silver, and I 
think it's 16 bronze, but maybe it's 17 now. There are a lot of medals today. <laughs> uh, pretty good achievement overall, I would say. I think fourth place in the medal tally is absolutely brilliant for our uh, Olympic Games. It's just been an all around the success, all around the successful games. Even with, and there's still a couple of days to go, so a couple of days to you know just really hammer it home. This is this has been our best games for quite some time. I think we'll wrap it up here because this is a long one. <laughs> so. <laughs> This has been Ascending Olympus. You can find us on Twitter at Ascending Olipod. You can find us at theinnersanctum.com.au to read any of our stories. We've still got daily recaps, athletics recaps, Australian recaps, a live blog on the night of the closing ceremony. We're probably going to do a closing ceremony recap because probably going to be pretty cool (laughs) what happens. Uh, So thanks for listening and we'll see you tomorrow.